make it into this. It seems like things change when uh, I begin to try to do a series. I get so far into the series that uh, something will change, and I eventually I'll come back and probably tie up all the loose ends one day. But here we are. I've been wanting to start teaching out of the book of Acts. I believe that we are still the book of Acts church today. And uh, if we are going to claim to be the church of the book of Acts, we ought to know what happened in the book of Acts. Amen. And so I want to begin tonight. We're going to start with lesson one because I know I can't teach the whole book of Acts in one night. And so we're going to begin to de delve into the word of God. We're going to learn some things about the, about the book of Acts. And uh, we're also going to begin to... Uh, Hopefully, learn learn some knowledge about the background of the book of Acts, but also understand some of the applications that are tied to the church today. Amen. So Acts chapter 1, we're going to read the first eight verses tonight. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse number 1, the former tretis, or tretis, I don't know how to say the word, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach? Unto the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you've heard of me. Verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Verse 6, when they, were therefore, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Everybody say we're supposed to be witnesses. Unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Amen. So tonight I want to begin to introduce the book of Acts. There's going to be quite a bit of groundwork that I need to go through as we begin to open this up. But as we begin to dig into this, I believe that we're going to find some things about the church Amen. That, you know, maybe we may be missing. Maybe there's some things that we need to apply. Um, maybe there are some things that we need to change a little bit. I don't know. But I want to make sure that we're aligned with what the original church was. Amen. I don't want to just be what they were, but I want to go further. Amen. Because I believe today that Jesus is coming back for a church not just like what he, what he started back in Acts chapter number 2, but... I believe he's coming back for a church that's much greater than that church. Amen. Praise God. Nothing in the kingdom of heaven or in the kingdom of God ever digresses. It always progresses. It always grows. It always becomes greater. Amen. So let us ask the Lord tonight to open our hearts and our minds to his word tonight. Can we do that right now? Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for the goodness, God, that we have the opportunity to come and to study a word together. <clears throat> God, I'm asking you right now, Lord, anoint my mind, anoint my, my lips today, God. I pray that you would give me the right things to say tonight. I pray that your anointing would rest upon us. Allow us to delve into the Holy Ghost, God. If you want to step in and you want to change the course of this lesson, this service, whatever the case may be, God, I want to be sensitive to you enough to allow you to move when you want to move. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy tonight. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> now, before I delve into 
this. Uh, something that I woke up, I don't know, it was around 3 o'clock this morning, and uh, tossed and turned for quite some time. Tried praying under my breath so I wouldn't wake my wife up. Don't know if I was successful, but I do know this much. God was dealing with me about some things. And one of the things that I, I began to think about and that really actually brought me the full circle back to these batches of lessons in the book of Acts was, I don't know how many of you have ever heard the term, the fear of God. You've heard somebody say, boy, I'm going to put the fear of God in you. I'm going to, or we need the fear of God in our lives. If you read the Bible, you're going to find that that term is often referenced throughout the scripture. And uh, maybe it was just because I had found, I found a batch of uh, reels last night before I went to bed that I was going through. And it was just different preachers that were making statements that people had just taken a small snapshot of and put them out there. And so I, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed hearing what others had to say. And so I'm flipping through them. And I got to one and he said, you know, he went into prison because a, a well-known preacher had gotten caught up into a bunch of stuff. Um, a couple of things happened in his life. He got stuck. He, he got caught in fraudulent activity um, within, with millions of dollars. And, and that's why he ended up in prison. But in the midst of all of that, it found out that he was also in adultery with some of the ladies in the church as well. And uh, the man that was speaking said that this older preacher that had been in prison for 10 years called and asked him to come and, and spend some time with him. And uh, he said, I looked at him and I asked him, and I, I don't agree wholeheartedly with what, what, what I'm about to uh, divulge, and I'll explain that in just a minute, but he said, he said, you were a pastor leading hundreds, even close to thousands of people in the kingdom of God. How did you fall out of love with God? The older man looked at him. He said, no. He said, son, you got it wrong. He said, I never fell out of love with God. He said, I loved God the entire time I was doing it. He said, but what I didn't do, he said, I didn't fear God. And it got my mind to working, and it got me to thinking. And I'm, I'm, I'm putting together some, some notes, and I, I got this one lesson that, that I, it's been burning in my heart, but God hasn't given me the green light to preach it yet, so... There's going to be a come a time, there's going to be a day that God's going to say, I need, you to, I need you to speak those things that I put on your heart so many months ago about. But part of that is simply this, the fear of God and the love of God. Now, when I speak of the fear of God, I'm not talking about just being afraid of God. You with me tonight? The, the, the term... In the original, didn't, I didn't intend to say all of this, but just bear with me for a moment and I'll get this out and we'll move on. The term, the fear that we need to, in one of the scriptures in the, in the New Testament says that we need to come together in unity in the fear of God. Other places, um, I, I believe it was Proverbs talks about that we need to have the fear of the Lord and it brings knowledge and it. And it brings all of these things. And I began to think, you know, I, I know as someone who has been raised in the church, I take for granted a lot of times that I understand these things. And I began to dig a little bit more, Brother Tuffy, just to make sure I, have, I had my understanding in the right place. And today, when I had some downtime at work, I, I looked some things up and I began to realize, you know, we don't hear much preaching about this in this day and hour. Because you're going to find that the reason I say that is because parents are allowing their kids not to have reverence for them. It's very evident. And if you don't think it's very evident that kids don't have reverence or respect for their parents, I'll, I'll encourage you to sit down with my wife and have her tell you some stories from, from 
for work and, and dealing with children and the different types of uh, situations she finds herself in. And, and some of these parents are afraid of their kids, literally afraid of their kids, and uh, start arguing. Anyway, lot, long story short is we need somehow to learn. Yes, we've got to love God. And if we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, it's going to cause us to not to want to do things that would be contrary to him because we love him. But I believe there's this aspect of reverence of God. When I say fear of God, we need the fear of God. We need the reverence of the Lord in our life. We need to revere him so highly that we, we're not necessarily afraid to do what's wrong, but we know that, number one, if I love God enough, I don't want to hurt his feelings. Can I put it that way? I don't want to hurt, I don't want to go against what God stands for. But number two, I reverence him so much that when people look at me, and we're gonna, you're going to understand where all this comes together in a few minutes, but when people look at me, they are seeing the only Jesus they're ever going to see. And so if I don't revere God, and if I don't love God, and if I, don't, if, if I treat people not like I want to be treated, but I treat people because I think they owe me something, I'm not reverencing God like I should. I'm being selfish. When I revere God, I want to go before him. I want to do what I can to make sure that he can do the things that he needs to in my life. But not just in my life because you'll find out here in a few minutes when we get into some more scriptures that when God begins to work in my life, it's not just affecting me, but it's affecting my family members and it's affecting my coworkers and it's affecting my neighbors and my friends. You with me tonight? And so we, we've got to understand, we need not just to have a love for God, but we need to have the fear of God in our life as well. And it makes us want to long, long to, to find out more about him. I want to be more like him. I respect him so much, I want to be just like him. Uh, on the way up here tonight, on the way up here tonight, I began, uh, uh, Brother McKillop out of Plaster Rock, Canada, uh, he does Kingdom Speak podcast, and he he had Brother Brad Lambeth on there. And uh, as he was, I was listening to one of their short clips because he's they're putting him on. I think it's tomorrow when they go live with that recording. But I was listening to him, and Brother Lambeth said one thing that caught my attention. And he said this. He said, "Do you know why people like idols?" Because, go ahead, they don't talk back. And did you know you can control an idol? If you don't like where that idol's at, you can go move it and put it somewhere else. Right? But with God, if God wants to be there, honey, you don't have any say in the matter. God's going to be there. And people like worshiping idols because they can control what their God wants them to do. That's why it's hard as, as true Christians to realize that God, when he begins to work in our lives, sometimes he's asking us to do things we don't like and that we don't want to let go of. But he's doing it for my good. And so that I can help further the kingdom of God. You got to be, I, I tell you, I, I, I'm very, I got to be careful. But one of these days I'm going to quit saying I'm going to be careful. I'm just going to say what I want to say and I'm going to keep moving. That's all, that's all she wrote. But folks, there is, there. You're not seeing a lot of Buddhas walking around, right? You don't see Buddhas on every shelf of a grocery store unless you go to a 
Oriental marketplace, possibly. He's not prominent in this world, except for those who worship him. You with me? Back in, back in the Bible days, however, every country and every place that you went, they had idols. They were all different. In fact, I was considering Egypt. and uh, Why do I do this? I, oh, well, anyway. But you begin to consider Egypt. And all of the plagues that the Egyptians went through, do you know what was the, what was the uh, uh, underlying factor in all of those, the common denominator of all of those attacks upon the, the e Egyptians? You ever considered this? If you do some research, you're going to go back in, in, in the history and you're going to find that the Egyptians worshipped the serpent. And so God, first thing he did was he had Moses throw down his rod and what did his rod become? A serpent. And who was it, whose rod was it that swallowed up all of the other rods that became serpents? You remember the story? It was Moses' rod. The man that God sent. So there's one thing in there that God was teaching the Egyptians. Hey, you think you can replicate what I can do? Let me tell you something. I will consume all the things that you try to replicate in my kingdom. And so Moses' rod ate up all of those other serpents. And then God told Moses to reach down and pick up his rod, his, that serpent, and that serpent became a rod. And God was just telling the Egyptians, hey, you worship this serpent? I'm the God of that serpent. And you can go through every single one of them, even to the darkness, because the Egyptians worshipped the sun god. The Egyptians worshipped the, the insects. They, the, the Egyptians worshipped the Nile. The Egyptians worshipped frogs. The Egyptians worshipped all of the things that were brought down in judgment from them. God knows how to get people's attention. And in moments of time, you see in the scripture where that it was where Pharaoh and the people of Egypt began to realize there's something to this people that we have here in captivity. And they're realizing, hey, we can't control the God of the Israelites. And they found that out ultimately when the armies of Egypt came after the, the, the Israelites and God took them out in one fell swoop right in the Red Sea. And no longer did they have an army. They had to, re, they had to build an army back up. They were helpless at this point because God had stepped in. Now let me tell you something. I say all that because I want you to realize in this day and this hour that we live in, we still have idols in our midst. We do. And those idols, I want to make this very clear because about what I'm about to say, I did not go watch these videos. Because the pictures that I saw were far and above more than what I wanted to see. But what just transpired a couple of nights ago, where at the Grammys, these great entertainers were worshiping, as it were, the devil, who so happened to be a homosexual individual. I'm not, but I want you to understand all of that depicted idol worship. And worldliness and immorality, all of the things that I saw in, the, in just a few clips of pictures that I saw, everything that hell has to offer this world was depicted in those images. I, I put a plug out there. This is why, this is one of the reasons why I don't, I don't feel comfortable having television in my home because these things can come through. 
At least with YouTube, I can direct where I go and pick what I watch. If that's a, if 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 it ever gets to the place where I can't do that, I'm getting out of YouTube. <laughs> Just because I want to make sure my mind has holy things to dwell upon. Does that make sense tonight? It's it's a it's it's got to be something that we fall in love with. People end up walking away from the principles of the scripture for two reasons. They lose the reverence that they have for the scripture and the one who gave it to us and they lose the love of the truth. And they begin to enjoy what life has to offer as we endeavor to go after the things of this world. I, I dare say that this entire city in a couple of weeks, I don't care what part of Kansas City you're from, but if the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl this year, the entire city will shut down. Schools will dismiss when they have their Super Bowl parade downtown. What else in this world would they shut down for? I, I have a video that I love to send to folks when we begin to talk about sports and stuff because it, it depicts the picture so well. And it comes from a couple of men called Skit Guys, and I've played it one time here at the church, and, and I just said, look, I want you to consider this with me. And I played the video, and in the video as it began to play through at the beginning, the man is reading a script, and he said, yeah. He said, let me tell you about this. There was this time in this, in this land where a bunch of people would paint their faces, and they would dance around, and they would, they would make lewd gestures, and they would do all kinds of crazy shit. Uh, uh, dances and, and, and treat each other weirdly and, and, and just make themselves absolutely, absolute fools. And he said, and he continues to go on, and as he's saying this, there's pictures of, of Indians worshiping their false gods that they have built up. And, and then he begins to talk about how they build up these big mausoleums for these false gods that they worship. And he begins to show these massive huts that the Indians would build. Just kind of like in the Aztec world, you, you, you've probably seen the pictures and, the, and even videos probably of the massive uh, blocks, uh, uh, mausoleums that they built to worship their gods in. And when he finishes, he said, oh, what, you can't relate to this? And it acts like he rewinds it, and he's reading the exact same script, and he's reading the not not changing any of the words he said a few minutes ago. This time, he's showing high school football games, and he's showing all of these different NFL games and these basketball games and all these things. So are you, are you preaching or teaching against these sports? The sport itself, no. The worship of those people that play the sports, yes, absolutely. Because you realize... There are people out there that worship, whether they want to admit it or not, Patrick Mahomes. They want to dress just like him. They want to cut their hair just like him. They want to, they want to walk just like him. They want to talk just like him. In fact, even people will name their kids after him. I guarantee you, some babies this year, if they win the Super Bowl, their babies will be named after Patrick Mahomes somehow. I'm talking about idol worship, folks. And I could take it even a little bit further than that and say, hey, most of the people that I know, when they put God on the back burner, it's because self has become their God. I want to live how I want to live. Does that make sense today? We're talking about how can we grow and how can we how can we grow in the fear of God? How can we grow in the love of God? Well, it's simply this. You need to get the Holy Ghost and allow him to come on the inside. 
and allow him to change you and to make you into what he needs you to be. That's what he longs for. That's what happened in the book of Acts. When you begin to delve into what happened here in the, in the, in the scriptures, you begin to realize, hey, these folks gave their whole lives without reservation to God. I think it's even by chapter 6, chapter, chapter 5, chapter 6, somewhere in that range, where the Bible says that all of the people, without being told, they began to sell things that they had and began to give it to the church because they didn't want to keep themselves so comfortable, but they wanted to reach out and help others. That's the kind of passion that we as the church have to get in under. Uh, we've got to understand God's called us. He gave us power after the Holy Ghost came on us that we could be witnesses all over the world. Can I get an amen tonight? Praise God. <clears throat> well, let's delve into the book of Acts here for just a little while. I'll keep my eye on the clock. Try not to hold us very long. <clears throat> Amen. As we introduce the book of Acts, there's a few things that I want you to understand. Um, you may already know this. I've tried to state this many times. But the Bible is made up of 66 distinct books. From cover to cover, there are 66 books in the Bible. I am here to tell you that I believe for us today, the book of Acts is one of the most important out of all those 66 books because it tells us how we can start a relationship with God. What is astonishing to me is one book, the book of Acts, teaches me how to be saved and all of the rest of the New Testament up to Revelation teaches me how to stay saved. There must be a lot of humanity that we have to put aside somehow, somewhere, maybe. Amen. So in the book of Acts, we're going to find the beginning of the New Testament church. Um, in the book of Acts, we find the only plan of salvation for us today. In the book of Acts, we see how that this New Testament church grew. In the book of Acts, we see how that this New Testament church evangelized the world. Now, some of the things, and I'm again, just ride with me for a minute. I'm going to blow through a lot of this stuff as quick as I can. But the book of Acts was written by a man named Luke. Now that name sounds familiar because he also wrote another book in the Bible, and that was the book of, or the gospel of, Luke. The same man wrote both of these to the same individual, mind you. And so Luke wrote the third gospel, and Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke is first mentioned in the letters of the Apostle Paul as his co-worker and his beloved physician. You got to understand, Luke was a physical doctor. He was not just a theologian, you know, because you got the, the title doctor can be a, applied to many people. But when we're talking about a physician, a doctor who can work on our body, he traveled with Paul on his mission works. And he was there and he helped keep Paul together. And probably, and this is just my opinion, okay, I'll make sure I, I state that out loud. So nobody goes back and says, well, Pastor Hilton said this, right? I'm saying this is my opinion. I'm not saying the scripture tells us this. But one of the reasons why I think that Paul was able to pull through some of those many trials that he, he, he began to explain how that he went shipwrecked. He got shipwrecked and he, um, and he got beaten almost to death. Somebody had to have been there to minister to those wounds. And I believe many of that, much of that could be attributed to Luke being the physician that he was. Luke is a Greek, and he is the only Gentile Christian writer of the entire New Testament. He was the only Gentile writer of the whole entire body, 
Bible. Luke wrote more pages of the New Testament than any other writer, including Paul and John. The longest gospel was the book of Luke. The most, um, the most involved gospel was Luke's gospel. He gave us more detail in many different areas. The gospels give us the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. They also give us his teachings, his healings, and his miracles. The book of Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, both of these books were written to the same person. And this person's name was Theophilus. Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 shows us this. Says, for, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth... <clears throat> In order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Verse 3 says, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. Now, I want to... And, and, I, and I could be wrong, so I'm going to have to step back and say, let, let this be my opinion until I can, I can check again. But if I remember right, Brother Tuffy, I'm pretty sure that the only gospel that was actually written chronologically, which means in the order as it happened, was the book of Luke. Mark for sure didn't happen. It, it wasn't written in order of how things unfolded. Matthew, I can see some areas where that was, but John also did not write in the order of how they happened. Um, hopefully that makes sense. But Luke gave us, in fact, he said here, I'm going to start at the beginning, and I'm going to walk my way back through everything. And so in the book of Luke, we're going to find the exact order of how things transpired. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, he writes again, he said, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. He said, I already wrote you before, Theophilus, and I gave you the exact uh, rendition of what happened in Jesus' life. He said, but something else is happening, and I want to write to you and tell you about what's going on. And so here we have Luke and we have Acts. Make up a two-volume work. Uh, the books of Luke and Acts are about, can I, and we're going to coin this phrase, salvation's history. Where did salvation begin? It began at the birth of Jesus Christ. Because the name Jesus, Yeshua, means Jehovah is become salvation. So when Jesus was born... Jehovah's salvation, our salvation, was born. And so we're going to coin the phrase that the Luke and Acts were and are uh, books about salvation's history. How salvation began to come about and how salvation was implemented on mankind. Remember that Luke shows us the man. Luke shows us the man, Jesus Christ. And so... Moving on, Luke divides history into three different stages, okay? The first stage being the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, from his birth to the beginning of his earthly ministry, all right? So the first thing, he was born, and he also takes it all the way until he began his ministry at the age of 30. The earthly ministry of Jesus, so from the time he began his ministry until he died and resurrected. And number three, finally, the time of the beginning of the church. And from Peter to Paul, from Jerusalem to Rome. The end of the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome. The beginning of the book begins with 
And when, the, when, when, when they were all in one accord, in one place, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it fell upon all those that were in the house. And we find in the book of Acts chapter 1 that that house that they were in was in Jerusalem. It was the upper room in which they had been with Jesus on the night of the Passover. Hopefully I'm not boring everybody too much. Just trying to give us some information, some groundwork that we can begin to build upon as we go forward with this lesson. These lessons. The book of Luke is what Jesus did in his physical body. The book of Acts is what he did through his spiritual body, the church. Let me recap that. The book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, is what the man Jesus Christ did. The man, the Messiah, the vehicle in which Jesus, in which God came down to earth and went through and ministered to those that were here on earth through the man Jesus Christ died on a cross, went to the grave, rose again. That's the book of Luke. He, he begins to depict Jesus in his physical body, but Acts begins to depict him in his spiritual body, which is us, the church. We are the body of who? The body of Christ. Amen. The book of Acts has often been called the book of the Holy Spirit. You can find people referencing it in that fashion. Um, the Holy Spirit, or if you want to call the Holy Ghost, whichever makes you feel better, um, is mentioned more than 50 times in Acts alone. In Acts. Jesus' flesh was God, which was spirit. We've talked about that quite a bit on Sunday. And so he is also the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is none other than that Holy Spirit, which is God. God is the Holy Spirit. God revealed himself in the Old Testament as the Father or the Almighty God. God revealed himself in the Gospels as the Son, which was God in flesh. God revealed and he continues to reveal himself as the Holy Ghost in the church. One man came to earth and dwelt among us and we beheld him as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Right? And so here we have one man who was... was, was uh, uh, the, the vehicle in which, G, which God was able to save the world unto himself, which another passage tells us. But then he said, I'm going to have to go away from you. We talked about this Sunday. But I'm going to have to leave you so that I can come back and be in, in you all. Let me ask you something. One versus thousands, which... Which one would you rather be able to, which one would you be more likely to accomplish more in the world? In one, in one body or in multiple bodies? His spirit comes and it lives inside of us. Consider it. He said, I, I, I'm with you now, disciples. I, I want you to understand I've got to leave you. But I don't want you to be disheartened because I'm going to come back to you he said, I'm with you now, but I'm coming back so that I can be in you all. Amen. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that come back to live inside of us. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18 tells us all of these things. It says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwells in you and shall be in you. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Amen. Thank God he has come to us. Thank God I don't have to be comfortless anymore, because he's my shepherd. I shall not want. 
Amen. We sang it a while ago. Amen. He's my comfort. I'm never alone. Praise God. Amen. The book of Acts. The book of Acts. The book of Acts. This book covers around roughly 30 years of time after Jesus' birth, after Jesus was ascended into heaven. It began with the ascension of the Lord in Acts chapter number 1, and it ends with Paul's residence in Rome as a prisoner. One thing that I, I want you to understand is when you begin to look into the book of Acts, you have to have a mindset that says, what happened in this book? This is the book of action. Can I put it that way? What were the things in this book? This is the first time we see people receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. I've talked about uh, principles of, of interpretation of the scriptures. And a few of those things were, number one, you have to have two or three witnesses before you can establish any teaching in the Word of God. Number two, you must have, uh, you, must, you must allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. And the last thing that you've got to understand is the law of first mention. In Acts chapter number 2 is the first time we ever see anybody getting the gift of the Holy Ghost. We see it referenced in many other, in many other places in the scripture. But in Acts chapter 2, we need to take notice of what transpired because that's the first time that it happened. And with God and with the way that the scriptures have been written, even if you go back to, um, and, and I don't have a lot of time to elaborate on this, but if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, there are things that, that the scriptures tell us happened in the beginning of time when creation happened that we don't find anywhere else in the scripture. In fact, there are some things later on in the scripture that you find that says something different than what Genesis chapter 1 says. The question that I ask you is, are those other accounts of what happened in Genesis 1 when they reference creation, are they wrong? No. There's one of two things happening. First thing is, if it doesn't tell you all of the detail later on and it's just referencing some things from creation, it's just taking for granted that you already know what Genesis chapter 1 says. Or number two, God gives us more insight into creation in other places throughout the scripture, it doesn't change what he already stated in Genesis chapter 1. Does that make sense? But it establishes, hey, these things happen, and at some other point during creation, this also happened. First thing you've got to know is, this book right here is the source of absolute truth. If you begin to doubt what's in the pages of this book, then you're going to have a hard time grasping some of the things that you read in this book. But you've got to understand, his word is truth. And when he states some things, they never change. In fact, the scripture tells me that we have to have the mindset that God is true even if the whole world is saying something different than what this book says. God is true. He said, let God be true and let every man be a liar. Does that mean we're better than anybody else? Not at all. But one thing it does mean, he's better than everybody else. I, I'm, I'm, I serve a God who is incomparable. There is no one who compares to him. So the book of Acts covers about 30 years. As you begin to study the book of Acts, you're going to realize, in fact, I'm going to say this and I'm going to move on very quickly. But that is, when you go into the epistles, the epistles are from Romans all the way to Jude. Okay, The epistles are the letters that the apostles wrote to the church. Now, the emphasis that I have to put on that is, those letters were written to who? They were written to the church. 
They were written to people who already had the Holy Ghost. And so when they begin to reference things like Romans chapter number 10, which is a very well-quoted scripture in all of churchdom today, you'll hear people say, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. All you've got to do is believe. Confess with your mouth. Believe with your heart. Well, that scripture's in the Bible, my friend. But that's only the beginning. And the Apostle Paul was assuming that the church already understood that faith, confessing with your mouth, he was referencing repentance. Believing on him with their heart, he's saying, hey, you've got to have faith that God can forgive you. And then he will continue to allow you to draw closer to him. Because if you go back to Romans chapter number 8, he said, I beseech you. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You've got to give yourself wholeheartedly to God. He wasn't leaving what happened in Acts chapter number 2. He was building upon it. And so, yes... The only way of salvation can be found in the book of Acts. And we need to pay attention to what happened in Acts chapter number 2, which we're not going to get to tonight. We're going to get to in next week or the week after, or whatever. Amen. However long it takes us to get there. But the Bible also tells us how were people born into the New Testament church in Acts. It tells us exactly how people were saved, how they were born again into the, church, into the early church. And this is the written account under the inspiration of God of, of what happened in and to the early church and how they were saved and what they preached. And it shows us the working of God in those who believed in the beginning. What better place than the book of Acts to find out how to be saved than to study the first church and see how they were saved. Amen. Give me just a few more moments and I'm going to get to another, another section in these notes. And then we're, we're going to call it quits for tonight. But in Acts chapter number 1, the Bible tells us to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. By many infallible proofs. That word infallible there means incapable of failing, or just the word certain. So if you can let me say it this way, to whom also, in verse 3 of Acts chapter 1, also he showed himself alive after his passion by certain proofs, being seen of them for 40 days and speaking of them things, the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What were the, fallible proof, the infallible proofs? Well, number one, he appeared at different times to different people. So it wasn't just one or two that were saying, hey, we saw Jesus. He's alive. It wasn't just one or two. In fact, some theologians say it was nearly 500 different people that he made himself known to after he came back from the dead. Now, understanding, he wasn't, he wasn't just a spirit walking around, Brother Donnie. He, he, he was a literal man. He, he had died in that tomb. And the Spirit of God rose him up out of, that out of that grave and put life back into that beaten, torn up body. And that man, Jesus Christ, was walking around. Now, God was able to use him. In fact, some folks said, well, he had to be a spirit because there's one area in the scripture that says that he, he actually, the disciples were all in a room, and the Bible says it was locked. The, door, the doors were barred shut. And all of a sudden, boop, there's Jesus right in the middle of them. Now, folks will say, well, that, that shows that he was a spirit. He couldn't have been flesh. Well, in that same encounter, he looks at somebody and he said, hey, take your finger and thrust it into my hands. Take your hand and shove it into my side. I want you to know I am real 
and I am back and I'm alive and I went and I defeated death, hell, and the grave so that you could experience the thing that I've been telling you about all of this time that I, I, I discussed with you at detail back in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. He said that comforter is about to come back. He said, but I've got to make sure you understand I'm not still dead in a tomb somewhere. you got to realize I got out of that tomb. I'm walking in your midst. I've been felt by some of these people. And I want you to realize, hey, Jesus is alive. And Jesus taught them. He met the disciples at the seashore and cooked them dinner and straightened Peter out, put his clothes back on him. And Peter went and preached in Acts chapter number 2 and saw 3,000 souls filled with the Holy Ghost that day. What a revival. The Bible says he, he ate and drank after he rose again. The Bible says that he met with them in Galilee. Number four, I already mentioned this already, but he allowed his body to be touched so they could know he was real and not just a spirit. He instructed them about the kingdom. Number six, he appeared to, to about 500 people at one time before he went into the heavens. And verse seven, he continued public appearance of, of himself for 40 more days after he rose from the grave. He walked this earth as a resurrected man for 40 days. And before he was ascended into heaven, he gave us some commandments. And I want to talk about those very quickly before we wrap up tonight. The apostles were to remain in Jerusalem. These are some commandments that he gave them. In Acts chapter number 1, verse number 4, he says this very explicitly to his disciples that day. He says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me. He said, I, don't, I want you to go to Jerusalem, people, and I don't want you to leave there until the promise of the Father comes. And then if you back up to Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Luke also talks about some things that Jesus said. And in verse 49 of Luke chapter 24, he said, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So Luke recorded two different times where Jesus stated, you've got to go to Jerusalem and the promise of the Father will meet you there. Thank God they listened. They were, they were to go to Jerusalem. In fact, if you, I, I didn't put the scripture in here. If you go down in, in Acts chapter number 1, I think it's around verse 16, 17, somewhere in that range. You're going to find um, where it talks about how that they went back to Jerusalem and they went into the upper room and they were stayed there and spent time in prayer with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and a bunch of other people. There was about 120 in, in the upper room praying and seeking the face of God. When the, when the Holy Ghost fell in Acts chapter 2. Number two, the second commandment that he gave them, first one was go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father. Number two, he said they were, they were to go into the entire world as witnesses. Again, Luke recorded this in two different places. One place he recorded it in, in Luke chapter 24, and the other place he recorded in Acts chapter 1. And so I'm going to read both of those passages to you so you can see what I'm talking about. In Luke chapter 24, verse 47, Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus said, And the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Then you get to verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, and Jesus is about to leave them some of his last words. He tells his people, that you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, 
and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Go everywhere and be witnesses. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8. In Luke chapter 24 verse 47. Go and preach in my name among every nation. Praise God. The third thing that he, he promised them and that he commanded them was that the promise of the Father was going to come. The Holy Ghost was promised. I want you to note something here. God always keeps his promises. He never goes back on his word. John 14 and 26, Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said to you. John 15 and 26, he goes on and he tells them again, But when the Comforter has come, he said, I'm not saying if he comes, I'm telling you when the Comforter comes, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth, from the Father, he shall testify of me. And then one more time in John 16 and 7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Praise God. Why? I said it a few minutes ago. But I just want you, I want to reiterate right here and right now. Jesus was limited in his earthly body. He could only do so much in that earthly body. But he could only be at one place at one time. But if he could send his spirit back to abide in the, in the lives and in the hearts of so many different believers, how many different places could he affect through his spirit working through his people and through his church? His spirit has come. He sent the promise. He gave us the Holy Ghost as evidenced by speaking in other tongues. We were, we were buried with him in baptism in Jesus' name. We were resurrected by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Are you thankful for the Holy Ghost tonight? I'm thankful that he has helped us. I thank God that he has changed us. Amen. Praise God. And I'm only down to verse number 5 in Acts chapter 1, and we're going to pick up there next week. But because if I start teaching from here, we're going to end up in a, another big area that it's going to take some time to cover. But I, I'm, I believe that as we walk through the book of Acts, I believe that God's going to begin to show us some things, and God's going to begin to open more doors for us to walk through. If we would just take what we learn from the book of Acts and apply it to our lives. Amen. Can we thank God for his promises? And can we thank God that he, he stays true to his promises? Can we, can we just love him before we leave this place tonight? Can we lift our voices to him just for a few moments here? Lord, we love you. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us an example through your word that we as mankind, we can come to you and we can humble ourselves before you and you can take our lives and you can make our lives into the vessels that you want us to be. And God, most of all, before it's all said and done, I want to be a vessel that you can use. God, you called us and you filled us with the Holy Ghost to be witnesses and to preach the gospel unto all nations. And God, I'm asking you, give us the willingness, and, and not, not just the willingness, but the anointing that we need every day that we wake up, that we can preach this gospel to those that we come in contact with on a regular basis. God, I'm asking that our lives would proclaim Jesus Christ everywhere that we go. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us, God. I thank you for your word. Every time I dig into it, Lord, there's something new. There's something fresh. Thank you for it, the new and afresh tonight. You're wonderful, God. Thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen. Praise God. Well, amen. I, I'm thankful for the word of God. Praise God. He's good to us. Amen. He was good to us in giving us his word. Praise the Lord. Well, Thank you for being here tonight, and thank you for being attentive to the Word of God.
and uh, continue. I did say we wanted to pray for Brother Blue, so let's do that before we leave here. Let's pray for Brother Blue right now. Can we do that? Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your healing virtue. Lord, I'm asking you would reach down and that you would keep your hand on Brother Blue, heal his body. God, I pray you know what's going on there, and I pray that you would remove, God, all the pain that he may be in right now, Lord, and give him strength today. Lord, I pray that you would help him, Lord, to know who you are, God, and not, not just that, uh, not just in relationship, but know that you can, can take care of all things. God, I pray that you would keep your hand upon the Mendez family as they come home this weekend. Lord, I pray that you would meet with us on Sunday, Lord, as we, we come and endeavor to dig into your, in, into your word once more. And allow the Holy Ghost to move in our midst. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Well, God bless you all. We love you. And uh, pray you have a wonderful day tomorrow. And uh, why don't you do, why don't you do uh, your best to find somebody to bring with you to church on Sunday? Amen. I'm going to see if I can find somebody to go pick up and draw and bring on into church. Amen. God bless you. We love you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.